Welcome to another podcast with Disney at Play. I am Jeff Kober, and we are grateful to have you uh, sitting in and joining us for this podcast today. And I'm very grateful for uh, the return of the uh, late and great David Zanola. David, how are you today? I'm late and great. I appreciate the great. I don't know what late means. What is this, my <laughs> eulogy? Uh, this is a... It's a, it's a, you've been gone so much. You've been doing all these yes. things out in Asia, and you did, you took uh, groups out in Asia. David does Exclusive by David, and he does this uh, thing on a at least annual basis where he takes groups out to Shanghai Disney and Tokyo Disney Resort and Hong Kong Disneyland and uh, and uh, I assume you had a great experience out there with that and uh, and then you did a uh, cruise with uh, in Alaska with uh, with uh, your family um, and then you returned to uh, uh, home just in time to turn around and head out to uh, Disneyland to see um, the new Galaxy's Edge out there. So you have been gone. You have been busy. Yes, yes, very, very busy. I think I figured out that in uh, in about 45 days, I slept in my own bed one night. So in like 13 different, 13 or 14 different hotels. And it's been a lot, um, but I love to travel. It's been a blast. So yeah, I got to visit uh, Galaxy's Edge actually twice last week uh, and got to go in a morning session, right? So this was the time where they were still doing the reservations before uh, just the general opening, which happened on June 24th. But we were able to get, because we had two separate hotel stays, a session from 8 a.m. until noon, and then a session from 8 p.m. until midnight, so both morning and evening as well. So I was fortunate enough to be in the land for eight hours uh, at the end of June. And, and that's uh, what brings us here today. We're gonna talk about David's experience, compare it, contrast it with my experience, which happened the very first week it opened. So let's take a look and see how, how the experience has evolved in the last three weeks and, um, and talk about what's working, what's not working there at Galaxy's Edge. Let me just start by asking David, how did daytime compare? Because daytime was actually opening, right? How did opening the first of the day, how did that compare with going there and ending the park? So I thought it, it was quite different in a couple of different levels. First of all, uh, I did not feel it was as crowded in the morning. Uh, and I think that that's probably because there were no groups ahead of us that were still kind of straggling around. Now, obviously, they're going to be doing a virtual queuing system, which you had wrote about on your site, uh, to, to kind of manage that so people can go look and, and find the information on that. But it was nice that right. we were the only ones in that land for three hours. There was nobody in before us. And uh, the, the biggest difference that I think I could say, and I have very poor eyesight, but I didn't think the land was lit extremely well at night. And maybe it's because I have poor eyesight, but um, I, was, uh, I, I thought it was quite dim. And so I could see everything and a lot of the details a lot better during the day. However, walking up to that Millennium Falcon and seeing that, uh, you know, with its landing lights on and seeing the, the way they have the Black Spire rocks lit at night, uh, I don't think you're going to get better pictures uh, of any of that if you're a photographer, you know, type person uh, than you would at night. But it was definitely, uh, it, it, was, it was different. It felt a lot more smooth in the morning because it was just opening than it did at night. Great experiences both times, but if I had to pick, um, I would probably prefer to go during the day than at night. So this, this is sounding deja vu, David, because it seems like when... These were some of your comments when we first 
uh, went to Pandora yeah. at night. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and so to give some background, again, I always want to make sure that I that I add context when I make comments like this. Um, I've been a diabetic for about thirty six years. And so um, I do not see very well at night at all. Yes, I remember going to Pandora with you just a couple days after it opened, and I actually lost you. And uh, for those that have never seen Jeff, Jeff is a tall gentleman. <laughs> he's hard to get. He's and, hard, you're, you're, uh, I'm hard to lose. And so we literally, I almost held his hand because we were like walking through the land, taking pictures, and then all of a sudden I turned around and I lost him. And so I just had to send him a text that said, I'll find you in a while. Uh, and now they did actually end up changing the lighting in Pandora in the evening because of that. So it's, I'm not saying everyone would have that issue, but um, for people with poor eyesight, definitely make sure that you go in the morning because with the sun just out as it is in, in California or when it opens up in Florida, uh, I think you're gonna be able to navigate a lot, uh, a lot better. Um, not, not that it's a bad experience at night, but I just prefer the daylight because of my, my poor eyesight. So, so uh, take the whole land, uh, the whole experience of walking in and, and taking it all in. Tell us how, how you uh, experienced that for yourself. How was that? So um, I probably set up a little bit of false expectations or unrealistic expectations for myself. I kind of imagined walking in and the new John Williams score just kind of blasting at me like it, you know, it would on the commercials and everything. Well, and and that's kind of what I imagine. Obviously, what it is, you know, and this will be every every opening. It doesn't matter whether you're in the the, the, the early previews like we were, uh, or whether you're going just at normal time. You'll just be following a massive crowd in. Five hundred people will all have their phones up to video, um, and so at a certain point, I just put my phone down and walked in, and it feels. Very organic is the best word I can use. Uh, I think they did their job there. I think it definitely feels like, not like you are in a Star Wars movie, but that you are in the universe Star Wars is in. I think the the best comparison I can make is in the very opening scenes of uh, Rogue One, um, or close to the opening scenes, uh, Jin is in this uh, you know downtown kind of market area, and then she ends up fighting with Cassian. Uh, you know they end up fighting some people, and the one Jedi with their the the Je the, the force sensitive gentleman with the staff whose name I can't remember right now ends up helping them out as well. And that whole it's where market... they encounter everybody right. is it's going through this marketplace, which is interesting because. When I saw that movie, I thought, this is what Batu is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And not as um, war-torn as it is in that film, right. but you do get that very same kind of sense of uh, village that you get uh, in... What? in uh, Yeah. Yeah, so here's, here's what I actually think is very cool and very wise about what they did when they designed it. So I remember... Um, hearing Imagineers speak about the design of the World Showcase countries at Epcot. And they have said that they intentionally didn't want to create any buildings that were replicas of actual buildings in any of those countries, at least in most cases that was their goal, because they didn't want people to walk up to that and say, oh, I've been to this place and that's nothing like it. They said they wanted it to just feel like, yeah, this building that I'm walking into is definitely a building that I could see myself walking into in Germany and France and wherever it is. And I think they did an excellent job of that in Star Wars. You're not going to see, other than the Millennium Falcon, which is a single ship and a couple, you know, there's an X-Wing and, and another, um, an A-Wing, I believe it is. 
But other than that, you're not really going to see anything that you say, I saw that specifically in the movies. You will see things that feel like they're natural in that world of Star Wars and all of the films. But I think that helps because I don't think you get as many people stopping and saying, oh, well, there's this. Let's take a picture with that. Or have you seen that? It just feels very natural like you are in this world. And I liked that because that's what gives it that immersive feel instead of they built something exactly out of the movies. And that goes very similar for Pandora too, right? The floating mountains and all these other things. Those exact things were not in the in the Avatar movies. They had to create new stuff. Yes, there were floating mountains, but you don't see a floating mountain in the, pan, in the Avatar movie that you say, ooh, that's that exact mountain. And I think that was a very smart decision on their part. I think it helps with that immersion. Um, and it made me just kind of want to walk around and explore. I enjoyed walking around and exploring uh, more than I did the ride. And I'm not going to suggest that Smuggler's Run is not a good ride. I just enjoyed soaking everything in and walking around more than I did um, on, on the attraction itself. And I think that's a, that's a bonus because obviously the big attraction isn't even open yet. So a couple of thoughts to what you're adding. Um, one is, uh, and I mentioned this in one of my posts, is that when you walk in the Frontierland entrance, um, you know, when you walk into Magic Kingdom or to Disneyland, you are greeted by a floral Mickey. When you walk into the Frontierland entrance of Batuu, you're greeted by a bunch of rejected droids sitting in a pile <laughs> of refuge <laughs> or refuse. And, um, and, and I think that kind of characterizes uh, the kind of, kind of world you're entering in. I loved how you mentioned World Showcase because my biggest concern when people visit World Showcase at Epcot is that they take the path around it and they never dig into it. And if I was going to suggest one of those countries I love digging into when I'm in, at World Showcase and you talk about walking around, it's Morocco. That influence of that Morocco pavilion plays out here. You really have to immerse yourself. It is possible to enter in to Star Wars land and take the main path. And soon enough, you'll be on your way out toward Toy Story land. And you've never even seen the Millennium Falcon. You know, if you don't know what you're looking for, you will miss so much of that land. You really have to decide to intentionally enter doors that may not have a, a sign to them that's, that makes sense. You have to, you have to be willing to just uh, walk into alleyways and to, and to marketplaces that, that don't necessarily call out to you. Um, it, it's, a, it's a little different experience than, than your traditional Disney uh, journey. Yeah, well, and I actually, you know, as a travel agent, starting to think about what kind of touring advice I'm going to give to clients. I basically, I have some clients visiting Disneyland in a, in, a, in a week or so. And my first piece of advice was, you may not use it, but I need you to plan an entire day to spend at Galaxy's Edge. We don't know what the wait times are going to be like. Obviously, once Rise of the Resistance opens up, whenever it opens up, that's two uh, attractions in that land which are going to have very long waits. The lightsaber experience will have a very long wait. The cantina will have a long wait. So just kind of budget an entire day. So I was in there for eight hours. I was there from the opening until the end of my session both times. I mean, they literally kicked me out at the very end saying we're closed. And so I took every second I could, and there were still things that I didn't see. And again... Neither of us really had a chance to get on the mobile app no, and no. really dig dig into that. And that's with the whole resistance part of the land 
basically not being used. You can see where the Rise of the Resistance entrance will be in the Disneyland land. Um, and there's some merchandise carts there. And again, there's an X-Wing and another ship there. But other than that, that whole half of the land really wasn't alive yet. And I still felt like I missed things. Um, I did not get to taste the popcorn. I had all the uh, ate at other dining, every other dining location. <laughs> nice, so. But I'm a popcorn fan and I still didn't have <laughs> That's it. That's funny um, you said And in fact, one so, of the yeah, things, but I, I not still only, had time. Um, do I find, again, going back to what you just said, that um, the whole resistance is, um, has yet to, um, to emerge... Uh, so to speak, but one of the one of the other little corners that I, I hear, and I've gone through a lot of podcasts and a lot of posts and a lot of reviews. One of the little uh, places that is never detailed or that anybody talks about is the sh the retail space for the first order. It's people have many of them see the mm. is it Echelon Tie Fighter or Tie Fighter Echelon? I'm not sure. Uh, which way to say it? They see that many see that ship, though I think a lot of miss miss that as well. But the shop next to it, actually, I I found very few people ever reflecting or talking. That's a little corner of that, of the opposite corner to to be honest, of Rise of the Resistance that I think people are actually missing. Um, again, it it you can there's so much to dig around and see. Well, and I think the reason that might, again, this is purely just conjecture, but I think the reason that might be is because that's really the only place there, the only merchandise location there that feels like a merchandise location, right? That whole market area in the middle of the land feels like you are just exploring that, that area and the Black Spire Outpost and all of the merchandise locations you kind of just wander into and out of where the first order gift shop feels, I don't know, that's not what it's called, right? But the first order gift shop feels just like a gift shop. And I don't know that any of the other places, even the place that sells all of the um, you know, Jedi clothing uh, in the marketplace feels like a place that you might you know, go to to get dressed for a journey or something like that. It feels very naturally in that land where the first order shop, make no mistake, it's a gift shop. And so I wonder if that's the part. And there's also not much going on in that area of the land other than I believe that's right by where you can buy the milk drinks. Um, but other than that, uh, but other than not that, all of the, uh -huh. the action is happening further in by the marketplace, uh, at least as of now. And that, and that TIE fighter just looks staged like yeah. a castle with a stage right. ready for a show or something to happen. And there has been reports of Kylo Ren coming in and out of it, but there hasn't been anything really staged or happening. Um, I'm not even sure that Disney wants to like put down here are your entertainment right. times for seeing, you know, stormtroopers appear in the same way that they're currently making appearances by marching down Hollywood Boulevard. Um, at Disney's Hollywood studio. So it's it's a little funky how how mm -hmm. these elements are playing out. Um, let's let's jump to uh, because again, so many people talk about the land and their experiences in the land um, that often uh, the Millennium Falcon Smugglers run kind of gets the <laughs> the oh yeah, and we went on that too, kind of, and that was good. Um, what surprised you? 
about that. Uh, good and bad. Um, I, I think the what surprised me good was just how realistic it felt walking into that back holding area of the Millennium Falcon with the chess table and how much that and then walking through mm. the corridor when you board, how much that felt. I actually think it felt much more out of Episode 7 than anything else where you see Han and Chewie kind of walk out and say, Chewie, we're home. Um, it felt so just naturally there uh, it was it's a very rushed experience right because you may not you, you may not necessarily get uh, you mean when you're when you're correct, on the millennium yeah, Falcon itself that. yeah yeah I felt rushed trying to get the you know get that going and the first time I went through I kind of felt like oh I missed out on mm-hmm. really getting a, a photo so I started orchestrating things very quickly when I walked on the the Millennium Falcon the second time, make sure I could get a photo of myself and offer to take photos right. of the other family, and all of a sudden, boom, hey, we're Well, I think that might need to color. just be, that's so. just an operations issue to get smoothed out. So right, basically what happens, for those who haven't been yet, is you get put with your group of six um, at the very end of the line, and then you get, so you, they give you a, a, a group that you're going to be with based on color, you know, red, orange, brown, yellow, green, whatever. And they send you in, and that's when you get put into that area. But the unfortunate thing, at least when I was there, was they were not then taking you to board the ride in the same order that you got walked back there. So if I was the third group to go in, that wasn't necessarily that I was the third group to then get taken back to the ride. There was one time where there were four other groups that went in front of us into that area with the chess table, and yet I was called before all of them, so nobody in my party that time. No, I was spoiled that I got to ride it multiple times, so I'm not complaining. I'm just suggesting that they didn't call us in that same order, so the other t- the other groups in front of us had all kinds of time to all take individual photos and everything, and the people in my group were rushed on. Okay, we're ready to board. Let me grab your cards, and they sent us through. I had already gotten pictures because I'd been on it a couple times, but the group, the other people that were with me, had not, and they were pretty bummed out that they didn't get pictures at that iconic table because they hadn't boarded people in order. And I'm assuming that's just an operational issue that they will they will suss out eventually. But uh, that was a little bit uh, disappointing. It's not like you have an hour in there. It's a very very quick uh, chunk of time. You had a chance to write it four times. I wrote it seven. Seven times. So well, because I went in my in my in my early chunk, uh, you know, I went a couple of times, and then at the and at the end, once I had already written it, I just did single rider. And sure. since there's six, it it is very common to have single rider issues, and the experience isn't really much different, obviously that way. So yeah, I think I got to ride it seven different times. You had a chance to do all three positions. Um, yes. And that was just by virtue of the luck of the draw, or did you at some point request? As just luck of the draw. Luck of the draw. Since since we were in those those reserved time frames, a lot of people were doing it multiple times, and so we were in a group. Actually, rode with the same family twice, um, and they said, "Okay, well, we've already done pilots. Have you been a pilot? Do you want to?" But then my second chunk through, um, it was just all luck of the draw that, that that's how I got handed the pilot, the gunner, and the engineer positions. But I was on the left side every time. I never got to be on the right. So, and you looking at all three, what uh, mm-hmm. what was the best? What was the worst? I, I would think that the the pilot is the best uh, position simply because you're the closest to the screen and you can actually sit at that um, you know at the, the the pilot station at that control panel, which is just a really cool experience to sit up there. 
uh, I would probably say that the worst position to me is the gunner position because all you basically do is touch the same button 700 times and just hope that it works. But I actually one time going through didn't even activate my station. I just left it as thinking nobody was sitting there so I could actually watch the attraction because I found myself paying more attention to what buttons were lighting up green than what was happening on the screen. And so if you have the opportunity to ride it multiple times, I highly encourage people listening to one of those times. Basically, you sit down in your seat and it asks you to press a green button to activate your station so they know that there's a person sitting there. Um, I encourage you to not do that and just let the attraction happen and watch it just as if you're a, you're a spectator instead of a participant to see a lot of the cool little nods they have in those in that film on that simulator because um, otherwise I was just looking at the control panel a lot of the time because I wanted the most points. Yeah, uh, so. you're a Midway Mania fan. Oh, absolutely. So so you you love gaming and and this worked for you. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I I, th I think the comparison I made to you was. Um, a much better done version of Mission Space in terms of pressing buttons and stuff. And by much better done, I mean that a lot of the buttons you press actually uh, have a cause and effect relationships with uh -huh. things. It's not going to be drastic. You know, I know that when they first started advertising, they said, you could actually crash the Millennium Falcon. And sure, you're going to run into things, but it wouldn't be a good theme park experience if you got a six-year-old driving the vehicle and they crashed it 30 seconds into the ride and nobody could do anything. So yes, there's cause and effect, but it's kind of foolproof in terms of your It is a directed experience. experience. It, you may Correct. end up with different um, opportunities, but it is a directed experience. You're, you're gonna, it, it's pretty hard not to, to, to just have the whole thing fall flat. Which is which is good because yeah. again, if you're traveling with somebody, especially you, you think primarily about the the demographic of small kids that might know. There was there was one uh, adorable little boy in our group, and he I, I heard him say, "Mommy, I can't reach the levers. I can't reach the levers." And everybody still had a blast. We all thought it was humorous that the little, his little little arms couldn't reach the levers, and he still had just as much fun. And we all as adults had just as much fun. So it's not as if. It's, it's a, thinking of it like a video game because there is not that much impact of what you do. And they also don't have the system set up where your results then follow you around the area, at least not, not yet. I, 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 there are two th uh, sets of thought on that. One is, is that it really takes you um, linking into your uh, app and getting that mm -hmm. all set up. And the mm -hmm. other is that it's really not going to happen until you get uh, magic bands on it in Walt Disney World. I gotcha. I rather think it's the former than the latter, that yeah. it's really about that app. But I think that there's still work to be done in trying to get that app where it needs to be. You're, you you love Star Tours, or does that uh, are you one of those people who kind of get nauseous with Star Tours? Um, well, no, I get I get more nauseous lately because with my small children that are rewriters. They want to do it multiple times again, in a row. Again, again. I can take start. I can take star tours, but I need a little bit in the middle of my stomach to kind of settle down since I'm now an old man. Um, but I can do it four or five times in a day. I just need about a thirty minute break in in between all of them. Uh, actually, when we were in Tokyo, my son and I were lucky enough that the first ride on Star Tours 
we got basically all of the new episode seven and episode eight content, the new land from each of them, uh, the new little narrations in the middle. So yeah, and our family, I mean, I grew up on Star Wars, huge Star Wars fan. Um, my kids, both my sons and my daughter are all Star Wars fans. I got my daughter a Ray t-shirt um, that she just fell in love with. So yeah, it was, a, I mean, for the experience of a Star Wars fan, getting to actually sit in the Millennium Falcon cockpit. To be honest, I actually think you could do that and have no ride and people would be just as thrilled because as a Star Wars fan, that's that's about as good as it gets other than potentially uh, making your own lightsaber for you know $9,000 or whatever it costs. Want to ask about a couple of things, but before we leave that attraction, uh, I fell in love with uh, Hondo Anaka. Uh, I really liked that character. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I didn't really love that character on Rebels, um, on the TV show where he mm -hmm. came from. But here on the ride, it made perfect sense. And in fact, they even used that terminology around the rest of the land. Uh, there was a piece of merchandise that I was really frustrated, uh, disappointed that was sold out. And I had said, ah, oh, there's none left. And the cast member, without a, a, a pause, said, oh, Hondo's behind on his shipments again. And so the whole, narr the whole narrative of Hondo being the one who kind of supplies everything to Black Spire Outpost worked really well. The animatronic, you will question whether or not that is an actual human up there. Uh, it is, uh, it was, it was, I liked him a lot more now after the attraction than I did when he was on the show. Your favorite food or beverage item at uh, Galaxy's Edge and your least favorite food and beverage item? Uh, so I had, uh, in Docking Bay 7, I went at night and, uh, basically because I wanted to eat there. Mm -hmm. And so I got a kid's meal, um, with basically a massive, the best way to describe it is a chicken nugget brick. So picture a chicken nugget only about three times higher and four times wider, mm -hmm. um, like almost like a big salmon steak of a, of a chicken nugget. And it, uh, it was it was just what it was. It was a chicken nugget. It was late. It was a chicken nugget. Um, what am I best food item? Um, I actually really liked uh, from the roasters location. I don't have my map with me to remember what the name of it was, but it was basically like um, a tortilla that had some sausage and some slaw and some cheese and some other kind of aioli or sauce or something in there. Really easy to walk around with um, and, and eat through the land so I didn't have to stop there. Not bad pricing and uh, was really good. I, I did try the blue milk. I'm a diabetic, so I basically took a sip of it to just taste it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was kind of just there. It's not a thirst-quenching drink by any means. It is absolutely not milk if that sounds gross to people. Um, but I did it for the to be part of the zeitgeist and say I had blue milk, but it's just a fruit slush, right? That's about all it is. A colleague of yours, uh, let's talk about merchandise. A colleague of yours did the um, uh, lightsaber, uh, yeah. Savi's hand-built lightsaber. Tell us uh, your impressions of that attraction. So that experience was very time-consuming. Uh, it was 30 minutes in line to, uh, you have to pay ahead of time, 30 minutes in line to pay for his spot and get a time to return. And then we were in the, then we had to come back for his time spot. We were in line there for about 25 or 30 minutes before they brought us in. And then the whole experience was probably about a half an hour to 45 minutes. But it was, it, it was as advertised. It was spectacular. Very, very close comparisons to 
the Ollivander's wand experience over at the two Harry Potter lands at, at Universal. Um, only right, the difference there, which is why it costs more, is in the Harry Potter lands, uh, the group gets brought into Ollivander's. There's still the whole show with uh, the performer, you know, talking about how wands choose the wizard. But in the Harry Potter land, only one child gets chosen for a wand to basically pick him or her. In the Star Wars, in the in the, in the Savi lightsaber construction place, um, everybody that pays gets to participate and make their own. And it was just really well done. The performances by the cast members in there were fantastic. The quality of those lightsabers, they are, it's not cheap plastic. It is, it is metal. It is heavy, solid metal. They look gorgeous. You get a little bag to put them in that you can kind of sling over your shoulder. And that was a lot of... Uh, as the kids would say, a lot of street cred for people walking around with those. Just really, really <laughs> well done. A, a really well done experience. You know, if you had put together a lightsaber, the plastic ones in any of the other areas in any of the Disney parks, it's very utilitarian, right? You walk through, you pick your pieces, you click it together, you're done. This was more about the experience of choosing your kyber crystal and how the force will speak to you through all of it. It was a it, it was it was absolutely. I'm not going to pay the 215 bucks because I would have nothing to do with it. But for somebody that might display it or might enjoy it, I think it's worth every penny. And I am very frugal when it comes to what I spend my merchandise money on. Any other highlight uh, highlights retail wise? That great things, lousy things, disappointments. I loved walking around all of the shops. Um, I, I really did like walking around the shops. Uh, it was just neat to be able to walk around them and feel like you were just... It's actually my favorite part of the Harry Potter lands in Universal is walking around the shops. Mm -hmm. uh, I really liked that. I thought there were some neat things of merchandise for people that like to... Uh, you know, bring a memory of their vacation. They were out of a lot of things, I'm guessing, because it was still kind of preview-ish. Uh, hopefully that will get fixed uh, here and out. The cast members were all absolutely fantastic in terms of playing that role and sticking with the language of the universe. Uh, I got to meet Ray, which is really cool, because typically the, you know, those face, you don't often see Star Wars face characters without masks. And she looked very, very similar uh, to the Ray from the films. So it was, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Obviously, some frustrations in terms of what merchandise was there and what wasn't in time to get into things. I think it's going to be a lot more of a uh, time-sucking experience than most people think. You think about it being a land, you know, Pandora in Animal Kingdom. You get a fast pass for one ride, stand by the other. Conceivably, even with eating you're probably out of there in, what, two hours? Wouldn't you say, Pan, two, two and a half hours if, is probably about your max? If you fast pass on Flight of Passage, yeah. Right, and so if you do that, I could easily see somebody spending four to six in Galaxy's Edge um, without even messing with the attractions because of just how much there is to walk around once it gets open and both of the attractions are there. So hundreds I think of, a, yeah, great. hundreds of Star, War prop, Star Wars props. Was there any reference that just really kind of tickled your fancy when you... Yeah, so if uh, I got we got to go in the cantina and we were for, fortunate enough to get a reservation in the cantina and they put us at the bar um, and I mean I just got my diet coke in a in a porg mug because I wanted the porg mug more than anything. <laughs> but on all of the taps behind the counter with all the different drinks that all have different you know names connected to the Star Wars universe, the tap handles were all designed. There was a um, you know there was like a joystick trigger from an X-wing. Uh, there was a Wampa claw. Um, there was Yoda's cane, and it was just really interesting to see a bunch of those. 
um, in the, uh, the the antiquities place where you can buy a lot more of the you can buy the, the what they call the legacy lightsabers so you can buy Ahsoka Tano's lightsabers and that kind of stuff um, and a lot of the really cool merchandise like some stuff from Rebels I got uh, a couple of holocrons from the Star Wars Rebels uh, universe which were really fun but in there that's where they have a lot of the the Easter eggs with masks from the Star Wars universe and did you see the display um, of uh, the monster that basically uh, tried to eat Lando Calrissian in Return of the Jedi, the Sarlacc pit, uh, the, yes. the display yes, the of what that actually one. looks like under the ground. Yes. That was so cool because it's something that I never thought at I needed to know this. At first but... I didn't even know, what is this? You know, And then it, and then it finally you know, I realized that yeah. this was just the baby version of that. Uh, very clever. Very clever. Yeah. I actually took some video of that. Um, yeah. So fast forward, you're, next time you see Galaxy's Edge, it's going to be at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yes. Maybe Rise of the Resistance will be open by then, but assuming it isn't, or beyond mm. seeing that, which is definitely on your list, I'm sure, to do, what is the one thing you are excited to go back and see again out of those things that you uh, mm. visited? I think I'm excited to potentially see some more character performers walking around to make that land feel more natural uh we only got to see chewy and ray um i i look forward to getting into the millennium falcon again hopefully with my family because i yeah. think that'll be a cool experience for us to get some pictures and they were really excited about it um i would assume that one of my sons will probably save up their money and get their own lightsaber and if it's their money that's totally fine but it's really a place that people who grew up on star wars are able to connect with people who have watched the new star wars because back to a past comment it's not specific to any of the actual films and so whether you were raised on the ones in the 70s and 80s or the ones in the 90s or the new you know ones that have just come out in the past few years none of that matters because it, there's no direct references that you need to understand. And so I think that different generations of, you know, people in their 40s and 50s and people in their 20s and then kids like mine, 13, 11, you know, 8, they'll all be able to enjoy it for different reasons. And I can't wait to experience it with my family. It was great to be there and see it on my own. But man, I got to tell you numerous times that I kept saying, oh, I wish my kids were here. Oh, I wish my wife could see this. So I look forward to experiencing it as a, as a family instead of just by myself. That concludes our podcast for today. We're pleased to have offered you probably the most complete coverage possible around Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. By the time this attraction opens in Florida, we will have offered more than a dozen podcasts on this new land. We think this addition to Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios is huge to the Disney park experience. Please check out the podcasts, many of which are Disney at Work podcasts, where we not just discuss Galaxy's Edge, but we make connections back to your own business organization. Know that we not only provide a show notes page for each of our podcasts, but you'll find links to other posts we have on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and so much more. And while you're there, be sure to access Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, a complete guide. That guide includes a unique interactive map detailing where everything is in this new land. Details showcasing food and beverage, shopping experiences and entertainment, a thorough look at Millennium Falcon, Smuggler's Run, 
a cue to exit outline of the new Rise of the Resistance attraction. Insights to navigating your experience when you visit either Disneyland or Disney's Hollywood Studios. Overview of the new Star Wars Hotel coming to Walt Disney World. Plus over 100 photos, drawings, and videos showcasing this newest Disney experience. This guide is available when you subscribe to our newsletter for Disney at Play and Disney at Work. When you do so, you'll be subscribed to our drawing as well to win a free Rex droid. That drawing will take place on the day Galaxy's Edge opens at Disney's Hollywood Studios, so be sure to subscribe between now and then. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, like us, and share with others. Our Disney podcasts are uh, unique in that we not only provide content to fans who love Disney, but we also offer through Disney at Work smart ways you can apply these same ideas back to your workplace. Why not create a little Disney magic in your job? Let Disney at Work show you how. When you visit Disney at Work, you may want to also check out my newest book, Disney Leadership in You, which offers leadership insights from scores of individuals who have led Disney over the years. It complements my other sites, Performance Journeys, and WorldClassBenchmarking.com, where I offer training and development solutions to companies big and small. You'll find access to all of that and more when you visit DisneyAtWork.com. We're a young website, but we bring decades of insight from Disney. If you like the content we're bringing you, please subscribe, like us, and share with others on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us there. Please let others know so they can benefit as well. Well, that concludes this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Whether it's work or play, remember, keep finding the magic.